Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. If you post something on Facebook or Twitter, it can be spread in a matter of minutes to millions of people. And to try to defend that afterward, after it goes out, is very, very difficult and almost impossible. In today's podcast, we're going to look at the real costs of election myths and disinformation. This is the first in a series of episodes I hope to post as the midterm cycle kicks off in earnest that looks at the problem and the response by technology companies. On August 11th, in a series of tweets, Twitter announced that it will begin enforcing its civic integrity policy in the context of the approaching U.S. midterms. Quote, this means we'll take action against misleading claims about the voting process, misleading content intended to intimidate or dissuade people from participating in the election, or misleading claims that may undermine public confidence in election outcomes. A blog post detailed plans to introduce newly redesigned labels on misleading posts, pre-bunks intended to, quote, get ahead of the misleading narratives on Twitter, and information hubs to share state-specific information about elections. The past couple of weeks have seen similar announcements from other social media platforms, including Facebook and TikTok. But as falsehoods about the U.S. elections spread by Republican political elites and influencers continue to proliferate on social media platforms and across right-leaning media, so do the downstream consequences, including increased threats of right-wing violence against election workers and a loss of trust in democratic institutions. Are the platforms properly prepared for this cycle, even as election deniers are positioned to take crucial offices in 2024 battleground states such as Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin? On the same day that Twitter made its announcement, the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform published a majority staff report titled Exhausting and Dangerous, the Dire Problem of Misinformation and Disinformation. The report considers how, quote, misinformation and disinformation drive fraudulent efforts to cast doubt on legitimate election results, increase threats to election administrators, and create pathways for bad actors to subvert our democratic elections. Based on information about the impact of election disinformation and threats provided to the committee in response to letters it sent to election officials in Arizona, Texas, Florida, and Ohio, the report includes a range of recommendations. The committee hosted a panel discussion on the occasion of the publication of the report. Here's Representative Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York and the chair of the committee, introducing the panel and describing some of the threats received by officials. Today... The committee released a report detailing new findings from our investigation into the effects of election misinformation and disinformation. We asked local election officials in four states, Arizona, Florida, Ohio, and Texas, how election lies are impacting their ability to do their jobs. What we heard is chilling. Election officials are under siege. They face growing campaigns of harassment and threats, all driven by false accusations of fraud. In Texas, the spread of conspiracy theories in national media outlets drove truly despicable threats. On social media, people threatened to kill one election administrator and, quote, let his lifeless body hang in public until maggots drip out of his mouth, end quote. 
Other messages included chilling threats against election administrators' children, including one stating, and I quote, I think we should end your bloodline, end quote. I think it's worth hearing directly from some of the other panelists who spoke to the committee. For instance, here's Jim Condos, Secretary of State for the state of Vermont. In Vermont, we utilize the gold standard of election integrity, a voter marked paper ballot. Since the 2006 uh, time period, we have done com- uh, completed post-general election audits that have provided assurances of, uh, that our elections have integrity. These facts did not stop a man named Harry Ansbach from calling our office and leaving numerous threatening voicemails for my election team following the 2020 election. Those voicemails colored with lewd and profane language repeatedly told my staff that one, our time was up. We would be hanged or executed by firing squad. Our days were numbered. We would, and I quote, get effing popped and to put a gun in our mouth and pull the trigger. These threats and others were coupled with the same conspiracy theories about the integrity of our elections that our former president and his supporters continue to push to this very day. Lies so insidious they are driving people to make violent threats against sworn election officials just for doing their jobs. The voicemails were so concerning that one of my staff members suffered symptoms of PTSD and he had to receive extensive counseling while taking a leave of absence. We have had to forego budget issues to install new security features at our office building. And we worked with our legislature and law enforcement to strengthen Vermont's ability to investigate and prosecute threats like these. This is Lisa Mara, Director of Elections for Cochise County, Arizona, and President of the Election Officials of Arizona. Our voters are angry and confused. They simply don't know what to believe. What is clearly apparent once we can have a conversation and move past that anger is just frustration. People who have voted for years and were never concerned with simple things like candidate rotation on the ballot now think everything's a conspiracy. These conversations sadden me the most because we fractured the spirit of many who think voting doesn't even matter anymore. They aren't sure who they can turn to for advice and answers, and we've got to repair this damage now. I'm really hopeful that we can. We need to continue to speak up and correct these deliberate or misinformational statements when we hear them. As the many angry calls and threats continue across the country, we get more calls and emails from people thanking us for our service. And those are far more in our county. The problem is people say they see these statements and they see these claims against us and they wanna speak up and say it's not true, but they don't because they're afraid of being attacked. Understandable. It's why many election officials can't speak up. They're fearful of becoming attacks or they're fearful of losing their jobs. It's easy to attack the small minority who keeps speaking up to defend elections. It's important in America. If everybody spoke up to defend what they know is true, it'd be a much bigger target. We'd still be attacked most likely, but there's safety in numbers and it's pretty hard to attack millions of us that speak the truth. Election officials and poll workers are your neighbors, your friends, possibly even your family. Support and defend them. If experienced election officials across this country continue to quit or run out of their jobs because of this ridiculous harassment, Who's going to take their place? The answer, it's inexperienced people 
And that's not going to help us move the needle to increase voter confidence in America. And this is Tina Barton, a former Michigan elections official and now a senior election expert at the Elections Group, who became the target of a specific set of threats after an incident in the 2020 election. Listen as she describes what happened. I recently concluded a 32-year career in public service where I served at the local, county, and federal levels. The last 16-plus years of my career were focused on election administration. On election night, November 2020, my team made an error when saving an absentee file that contained results for seven of our 32 precincts. The error was found and quickly corrected. That following Friday, a press conference was held by a national Republican political figure at the Oakland County Republican Party headquarters. The county party that had nominated me as their candidate for Oakland County Clerk Register of Deeds. President Trump and I both lost in our county, but that press conference changed my life forever. No one contacted me to ask what had happened or to seek the truth. Instead, this statement was made. Just last night in Oakland County, we found 2,000 ballots that had been given to Democrats that were Republican ballots due to clerical error, and this took place in Rochester Hills. You could hear the gasp of everyone in the room, and I was stunned. I responded with the following statement shared by video. My name is Tina Barton. As a clerk, my job is to run the elections fairly and securely. All ballots are and have been accounted for. There were no missing ballots. The accusation that 2,000 were found is categorically false. As a Republican, I am disturbed that this is intentionally being mischaracterized to undermine the election process. This was an isolated mistake that was quickly rectified once realized. Every voter should have complete confidence in our voting system. Every vote that was cast was counted accurately, and there is a paper ballot backup and I stood by our reported result. Four days after that press conference, I received my first death threat. It was laced with obscenities, threats to my life and my family members' lives, and used sexually charged language. Pardon me. Why the details of my story are unique. Over 1,000 incidents of hostile and harassing contact have been reported to the DOJ. Mis and dis and malinformation is dangerous, and it's fueling these threats. We need your help. We need your help with protection. We need your help with increased awareness of the threats and intimidation. We need grant funding that is specifically designated to assist officials. If elections are truly critical infrastructure, we must protect them and those that administer them. Thank you. Nora Benavidez. Senior Counsel and Director of Digital Justice and Civil Rights at the advocacy organization Free Press Action, addressed the role of social media in spreading election disinformation. These concepts are not new. Throughout history, lies and propaganda have been used to subvert people's faith in institutions and each other and to otherwise obfuscate truth. Yet these threats are even more potent in the digital age. Pew has found that most Americans use social media now as their information gateway. Social media companies like Meta and Google know that people are vulnerable to incendiary and deceitful content and have built profitable business models around amplifying and getting more eyeballs on mis- and disinformation. 
Layered on top of this business incentive are the information gaps left where quality local journalism has withered. In the absence of robust news coming to people through other channels, online users are consuming content largely in their own social media echo chambers, predicated on platforms' abusive data practices in which they target users based on our behaviors and preferences. In 2020, for example, voters were targeted with content online that discouraged them from voting with surgically precise efforts to dissuade Black, Indigenous, and Latino voters from turning out to the polls. The goal of such disinformation campaigns is clear, to disenfranchise voters and to build distrust in our institutions and each other. The impact of recent disinformation efforts has outlasted, far outlasted, the last several election cycles. For example, policymakers in 18 states have used lies about the 2020 election being stolen or corrupt to legitimize introduction of new laws. These constitutionally troublesome laws narrow voter access and make the electoral process harder. Disinformation is thus not only a vehicle for social division, but is used to advance structural limits on American freedom and basic rights. We must rein in abusive practices by social media companies. Their business models threaten to destabilize our democracy by amplifying lies and calls for violence, reaching audiences with a speed, precision, and scale once unimaginable. Likewise, the election officials pointed to the role of social media in driving the harassment they face. Um, I will say we get a lot of phone calls. People leave voicemails all hours of the day and night, and they come from up. They're not even people in Arizona. And a lot of it is spurred by social media. Some people that um, put out our contact information that say, call these people and leave messages and tell them these things are wrong. Jim Condos, the official from Vermont, points to the confounding nature of addressing false claims that have no basis in fact. He points to the problem of defending against false claims on social media. What I'm seeing is that people don't want to hear the facts. Uh, they're ignoring the facts that that uh, from our standpoint as election administrators, um, you know, someone will say, you know, well, this was fraudulent. And I have to try to prove a negative. How do you prove a negative? And Nora Benavidez underscores that misinformation and disinformation targets communities of color specifically. Uh, a lot of the disinformation campaigns are specifically targeting communities of color. We know that social media companies have actually facilitated, profited from, and even participated then in these activities. I'll give you just a few key examples. On Facebook, for example, um, Meta has recently settled a lawsuit with the Department of Justice regarding its housing advertising scheme, admitting in the settlement that it engaged in discriminatory practices, that its algorithms targeted users based on location and other identity markers that could be proxies for protected classes. Ultimately, that meant that Black users saw less ads for affected housing. Then there have been asymmetries in language moderation and non-English content, both about the election and bogus voter fraud claims, have been less moderated in non-English languages, including Spanish and other languages. 
In Arizona, we know that Latinos and Native American communities faced a cascade of untrue digital messaging over Twitter about the voting process in 2020. In Wisconsin, we also know that communities of color from Madison to Milwaukee were targeted with lies about mail-in ballot fraud and ballot dumping. These examples go on and on. They touch on, of course, the electoral process, as well as narratives related to COVID, the census, and otherwise, ultimately pointing to the need that for some action to be taken to rein in these abusive practices by social media companies. The majority staff report says that election disinformation has created a, quote, feedback loop that produces more false information, heightens threats and pressures on election administrators, and increases the possibility of election subversion. This is a process that the committee described as a democracy erosion engine. In its conclusion, the committee's report includes recommendations for executive and legislative actions that it says should be taken at the federal level to address disinformation. It calls on the president to, quote, designate a lead federal agency or office to support state and local efforts to counter election misinformation, and it calls on the president to direct other federal agencies to address the problem working with state and local election officials and with social media companies and legacy media. It recommends that the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, work with state authorities to establish state-level rumor control websites, similar to the initiative CISA operated at the federal level in 2020. And the report calls on the Department of Justice to continue and expand its Election Threats Task Force, which was created in 2021, and for the FBI to supply additional guidance on the threat to its field offices and local law enforcement agencies. The report calls on Congress to provide additional funding to, quote, allow election officials to invest in physical and cybersecurity and modernize election equipment and to account for increased security costs and other unprecedented election expenses. And it calls for the enactment of, quote, meaningful statutory penalties for anyone who threatens election officials and administrators. The erosion engine implicates social media platforms in the problem in two key ways. First, they are primary channels for the propagation of falsehoods. And second, platforms that enable the grifters to match their message with their ask, creating the economic incentives that finance ongoing investment in the big lie. The fundamental designs and business models of the platforms appear to be at the root of the problem. More fact checks and moderation, better labels and information centers, no matter how well-crafted and widely propagated, will no doubt fail to counter the problem at scale particularly given a substantial proportion of Republican elites show no sign of abandoning their strategy to advance conspiracy theories and so doubt. That does not mean social media platforms are off the hook. Clearly, they should do more and invest more. But it may also mean that it's necessary to more urgently advance other solutions to blunt the impact of the big lie. Time is short for a rethink, and the temperature is rising. The same day that Twitter made its announcement that it would reactivate its civic integrity policy, and the Oversight Committee Majority Staff Report was published, an armed man named Ricky Schiffer attacked an FBI field office in Ohio. Social media posts under accounts with the same name on Facebook, Twitter, and Truth Social suggested Schiffer may have been motivated to carry out the attack due to anger over the FBI search of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago property, an event that provoked extreme rhetoric from right-wing influencers, media personalities, and some politicians. Posts indicate Schiffer's rage was also driven by the belief that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump and that Schiffer was present at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021. Here's NBC senior reporter Ben Collins describing Schiffer's motivations to Ali Velshi. 
On May 7th, this is what Ricky Schiffer posted in response to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Congresswoman Greene, they got away with fixing the election in plain, plain sight. It's over. The next step is the one we used in 1775. Wow. So he was thinking like this for a while. And then this search of Mar-a-Lago happened. And he said, this is the end of it. He said, we must not tolerate this one. That's what he said two days ago. And that's what led to this entire thing. So uh, my worry is that this is not on the darkest parts of the Internet. Right. I know those places. I know, yep. I know where the neo-Nazis hang out. I know their telegrams. I know all that stuff. This is on the parts that are obsessed with Donald Trump. These are your neighbors. Even as the violence played out in Ohio in real time, Representative Pete Sessions, a Republican from Texas, used his moment as ranking member on the Oversight Committee panel to raise doubts about whether the FBI has properly investigated what he regards as questionable aspects of the 2020 election. Sessions even vaunted the discredited film 2000 Mules, which advances a range of conspiracy theories about the 2020 cycle. Have any of you seen the uh, information that was presented in 2000 Mules? Let the record reflect uh, evidence. I, I can start. I've, yeah. I Sorry, I wasn't sure who you were starting with. <laughs> well, I just have any of you. Ms. Barton? No, sir, I have not watched that movie. I have left my facts to the facts and, and the way it's played out in the court system. Okay. Mr. Condos? I have not viewed it, but I can tell you that uh, Mr. Souza, who, who produced that video, is a partisan supporter uh, he, who has violated federal campaign laws and was later pardoned. Uh, so I'm not sure what his motive, be, uh, if it can be trusted. Uh, and I have read many articles in reputable uh, uh, news articles that, that uh, have debunked that, that film uh, as not being credible. Thank you. Ms. Benavides? I have not seen it. Um, you know, I hope we can focus on getting Americans facts about the electoral process. Yes. The people uh, behind that movie have a history of distorting facts. Ms. Mara? I have seen parts of it. I have not watched the whole thing. I spend an enormous amount of time researching from various sources, all the sources and all the information, and then comparing them to laws in Arizona and federal laws, and then making my own conclusions based on the actual laws in place. Yes, ma'am. Well, I would encourage each of you to please do that. They used actual video from the Secretary of State. And that video uh, then was taken down at the time they came and did that so that, uh, but I'm sure that it's still available. Exhausting and dangerous indeed. That's it for this episode. I hope you'll send us your feedback. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones, and thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.